Hey everybody and welcome to a new edition of Talking About Cars. I'm Randy Cardoon. Everybody has a car story. Coming up, we'll preview the new and improved Peterson Museum right here in Los Angeles and get the lowdown from the museum's Leslie Kendall and a visit with Pixar's Jay Ward regarding the new display based on the movie Cars. But first... If you know this music, you know Dennis Gage, a car guy who's been traveling around the world to make your cars the stars at various car shows with his show, My Classic Car, which can be seen on Velocity and MAV-TV. All right, Dennis, so where does your car story start? Well, I started out as a child, uh, and, you know, I'm just a, I'm really a, just a small-town country boy from the uh, northwestern corner of Illinois, kind of on the Wisconsin border, grew up on a farm, um, and... Uh, you know, in the middle of freaking nowhere to a, to a, to a large degree. But I grew up in the muscle car era, you know, the, uh, in the 60s. And that was really, uh, I mean, I, I think that anybody that, that lived through that time uh, invariably had to kind of get bitten by that bug. It was, uh, it was the first time uh, youth had ever been marketed to. I mean, it was really the, the, the big three were looking for, uh, you know, a new market segment. And, they, you know, they... They, they said, well, how about youth? And they said, we're looking for an unmet consumer need, and that consumer need was the need for speed. And so they put big engines and grocery getter sedans, and poof, you had a muscle car. And, you know, I mean, it was, it was, and they marketed directly to youth, and it was just like, wow, you know, and they're putting, you know, they're putting these, these fire-breathing engines in the hands of teenagers. It was amazing. What were they thinking? Um, <laughs> but that's the time that I grew up, and, you know, and, and really being out, you know, in, in rural America and everything, uh, we, you know, we got we got three TV stations, and there wasn't anything on TV back then anyway. Um, and the only way you kind of uh, knew about the hobby was through through marketing, through the big three, or through the magazines. And we didn't, you know, I mean, magazines were expensive, and we were, you know, we didn't have a lot of money. Um, but but you know, if you were around that time, you you almost had to be into cars. And I, uh, uh, you know, my. Uh, my dad was really good with crops. He was good with livestock. He wasn't very mechanical. So, you know, I, I ended up kind of going that direction. And, you know, I did those things and he did the other things. And, and uh, he was really a, he was a Buick guy. <laughs> um, but my first car at, uh, at age 15 was a 59 T-Bird, which I, uh, which I bought for $100. Uh, <clears throat> boy, I, I learned so much from that car. Uh, you know, I, I bought it at dusk uh, one night, one, you know, summer. And I, as one of the main things I learned was never buy a car at dusk. Yeah, I mean, really, That's the first time I've ever heard somebody say that, I bought the car at dusk. Well, and here's, here's why that matters. Because when I woke up in the morning, I saw this pink car sitting outside. And in 1959, Thunderbird had a color called Flamingo. And it was a very, very light pink. And at dusk, I mean, the thing looks off-white. It looked off-white, you know. It was pink in the morning. Oh my God, what have I done? You know, you don't. When you're 15 years old, you had some explaining to do. Yeah, well, you know, it wasn't pink for long. But uh, that was really the, you know, that was the uh, car that it was the first one I had. I drove it. Uh, you know, I didn't have a license, and actually hit a house with it. By the way, uh, before I had a license, it was, you know, one, just one of those things that happens. Wait, wait, wait! You can't, you can't just gloss over hitting a house. How, how did you hit a house? They jumped right out in front of me. I, I, I braked. I swerved. I couldn't stop. I just couldn't stop. Um, no, it really, it's a long story, but I genuinely did on the 4th of July in 19, you know, 67 or something like that, hit a house with it. Um, boy, I think it was a solid car. It did better than a house. Uh, but, you know, and that, that went on to, uh, 
uh, you know, that, that gave way to a 65 Impala. On a si- hey, I got to know, did you drive through the house? Did you just hit the corner? Yeah, it was, um, you know, it turns out the house was um, at a T-intersection. And I was coming to the T-intersection, and, and I had, oh, it's really a long and tortured story. But, <laughs> but the, my headlights were like two matches at that point. I had no no battery and no you know I mean it was, so I really couldn't see and it looked like a four way intersection instead of a T but that was a driveway yeah, so I go in and you know it's all gravel around gravel roads and probably going way faster than I should have in fact that's what started it all um, but uh, you know so you kind of you, you lock up the brakes and you swerve one way and you, you know there's there's this there's this there's this center post I mean a, a corner post for a fence this huge thing I, you know I correct and I get out of that and then there's this huge tree you know like a, so I correct and I get out of that and then there's this house and I correct and I didn't quite get out of it so. So the, the, the right front fender hit the foundation of this big old, you know, farmhouse. And uh, really, I mean, it, it, it didn't really do anything to the house. It, it, it pushed the bumper into the, uh, the tire so I couldn't leave. <laughs> so, you know, so I really had to face the music on the whole thing. And, you know, coming home, no driver's license or anything like that. And this isn't a country. You got away with that stuff. But coming home on the 4th of July, and everybody's on, at the farm, everybody's sitting on the front porch. Yeah. Everybody's there, and I get dropped off by a friend. And Yeah, you want to talk about some splaining to do, yeah. Uh, you really did learn everything on that 59 Oh, man, oh, man, yeah. Um, but so you yeah. were talking about a 65 Chevy? Oh, yeah, well, it's just, you know, I mean, the car, one car gave way to another. Uh, you know, I get, I get uh, doing what I do, I get to meet a lot of people that, you know, uh, you know, wisely hung on to their first car or able to get it back and everything. And I never, I was never really able to do that. You know, I had to, I had to uh, sell the car I had to buy the car I wanted and then sell the car I had to buy the car I wanted and then, you know, add infinitum. So I, I you know, I went through a lot of cars that I wish I had back. 65 Impala, 67 GTO convertible, 69 Mach 1, uh, 72 Opel GT, XKE, Jag. Um, the Opel GT that looked like a mini Corvette. They were dynamite. I had that thing. I had that in uh, latter years of, of undergrad school. And, uh, yeah, it's fun. In fact, I, I still have one. Uh, my, bro- my younger brother, five years younger than me, also had one of those back, back in the day. And he hung on to his. And, and I eventually, uh, it was in the farm, and he was just, you know, sitting in a shed, and he was going to donate it for the tax write-off. Uh-huh. I, said, I said, guy, you know, the tax write-off's like $39 for that car. You know, just give it to me. Um, so he did, and, and my son and I, you know, put that back on the road, and he drove it for the last couple of years of, of high school and then through college. So it's, that thing's been in the family 35 years. Um, but, you know, then I, I, uh, I it's after college, I, because uh, I'm a car guy, but I'm also, I'm a, I'm a scientist. I actually have a Ph.D. in chemistry. I'm the most needlessly overeducated person in television. But, but I, so I was a science guy, and in undergrad I did both chemistry and physics and quantum physics research and stuff like that. And I was just... I was supposed to go on to grad school right away, uh, and I was just burned out. I just couldn't do it, you know. And, and uh, so instead, I, I uh, started a band and played playing pedal steel and toured for two years. My parents were so proud. <laughs> uh, and uh, playing out of Chicago, but touring all over and playing with people like Charlie Daniels and Waylon Jennings. And you know, I mean, it was back back in the day. It was wild times, but it was clearly going to shorten my life expectancy. So I. Went to grad school. I was driving an E-Type Jag at the time, which was really pretty, pretty cool, you know. But you don't drive an E-Type Jag in grad school. And so I put that in a shed at the farm. And my dad gave me his 1970 Ford Maverick, uh, which, which he had bought new. Uh, and and had, this was like, this was in 1977, so it was seven years old. He had never, ever washed it. He bought it, by the way. He bought it new uh, because of the ad. 
for it. If you remember the advertising for the for the Ford Maverick, it was the only car in America under two thousand dollars. Right. <laughs> I think, in fact, I think I have the original thing out of Reader's Digest. You could send away something, and they'd give you one of those dealer cars, uh, just like it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's you know uh, that was it. He bought the the nineteen ninety five Ford Maverick, absolutely you know base model and everything. But but I was going to grad school. I don't care, you know. So I put the Jag away and I loaded all my earthly possessions in this Maverick and took off across country to Moscow, Idaho. I went to the University of Idaho and was out there and I was broke then for, you know, five years. So I, the, the Maverick was kind of it. And it wasn't until after that that I got back in, into playing with cars. I still had the Jag. And then I've always been a T-Bird guy, obviously, from the first car. But, you know, I had a, had a 64 at the time. I, uh, I, I graduated, uh, did grad school, finished the Ph.D., went to work for uh, Procter & Gamble and did product development for 10 years i'm one of the guys that developed pringles really is that you on the uh on the cover you know that that's a great urban legend um but but as with most urban legends there is an element of truth to it so that so that in fact i am one of the developers of pringles okay. the logo predates me but even at procter and gamble where they where they were developed everybody thinks that's me on the can because i you know i mean i looked like this then and so but but i i always tell people no i I'm not really on the can. I'm the product guy. I'm in the can. So that's so I, yeah. So I did that, and then I then I uh, uh, ended up at, at a Bristol Myers Squibb company for five years, and uh, but you know started again, kind of playing with cars, getting back into motorcycles and things like that, and then fell into this this TV gig quite by accident 20 years ago. And this is by the way the 20th season for the show, um, and it, it took off and. Uh, it, and it refuses to die, so I, I'm still doing it. It's a it's an absolute blast. I left the corporate R and D world uh, 20 years ago, and and uh, been all over the world. Uh, uh, you know, go to car shows, go to great collections. Everybody lets me drive their stuff. I can't believe it. I don't know what they're thinking, but they do. Uh, it's just been it's just been a great ride. I meet great people. I learn great things from them, and go all over. What has been the most fun? That you've gotten out of a car when you get out of the car and go, I can't believe I just drove that car. Man, I mean, there's so many of them. I, I, it's, it's, it, it's almost, I almost am that way when I get out of any car, though. I mean, it's, they're, they're all such, and, and I've been doing this so long that I'm really looking for stuff that's off the beaten path. I've sort of been Cuda Camaro Mustang to death, you know. And while I appreciate those cars, and I vote probably owned all of them. Yeah. Um, you know, I want something that you're you're not going to see it every car show. So my, my show's loaded with kind of oddball stuff, but I love it, and I get to drive a lot of it. So it's just, I mean, I find them all fascinating, and, and, and uh, it's, it's, they're so different. You get into this car, and you're going to drive, you, you know, you never know really, you know, like they might, be, have, might have a center gas pedal, and, a, you know, I mean, it, it could be completely weirdly configured. But uh, I've been in some, you know, magnificent, legendary stuff, Um and it just it just keeps going. I mean, uh, this, uh, the the material is lim limitless. You can absolutely do this forever. Take me back to the start of the show. How did you? You said you stumbled into it. How did that happen? You know, bridge version. It was just a simple twist of fate, as Bob Dylan would say. And uh, it really was a chance meeting with the guy that was then my business partner for about fifteen years. Um, and I was, you know. Uh, uh, I had a good day job, you know. I was a director of product development of Bristol Myers Squibb Company, um, but this guy was, you know, a fledgling, uh, you know, TV guy, and he had this idea for a show, and he, he just couldn't couldn't find, uh, you know, the right guy, and and we we really had just this kind of weird meeting, chance meeting, because.
he was producing a local commercial. Um, and this is where uh, Evansville, Indiana, and he needed you know he, he needed a, a a guy with a turn of the century scholar look. Well, you know, I mean, really, who who looks central like, casting? You know, exactly, <laughs> who looks more like that than me? Um, and you know, and 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 he came to know of me, you know, through again a kind of just a weird uh, uh, set of circumstances. But we, you know, we we met and and uh, did that little piece. And he says, "Man, you you seem to uh, you know be." You know a lot about cars. You're kind of a character. That's a hell of a mustache. You know, would you be interested in doing this? You know, this camera thing, camera test for uh, the show. I got an idea for, and, and again, I had a great day job. I was like, yeah, sure, whatever. So I did it, and, and uh, it uh, it went over really well. <laughs> and and uh, uh, we ended up, you know, we taken off. We got a, a pilot uh, series funded by TNN back in 1995, and. And TNN, uh, boy, that takes me back. The Nashville Network. That's where it all began. That's where all the car shows began. TNN was what taught us to look for car shows Saturday and Sunday morning. And like, like Pavlovian dogs, we continue to do that. <laughs> you're right. You're right. But that's where it began. And uh, and I was actually, and I was still doing the corporate thing at that time, and traveling literally all over the world. And I finally, you know, said I can't. I just can't do this. I can't do both these, and this looks interesting. And I was in uh, Bangkok, Thailand. When I resigned, I said, screw this. I can't do this anymore. I quit. And uh, I wasn't even sure how I was getting back to the U.S. <laughs> but I, but I, I finished. I, I had to go to Jakarta and Tokyo and uh, I don't know where else, uh, Manila, and then home. And, and uh, the guy says, yeah, that's fine, fine. I understand you quit. But, you know, do the rest of this. And if you still want to quit when you get back, we'll work that out. And so I got back and said, no, I still want to quit. <laughs> and that was, I mean, that was 20 years ago. That's an incredible story, though. Just the way the whole thing changed for you, but just by a chance meeting. The cars that you have still today, how many cars? What do you have? Uh, I've got, uh, I think I've, the fewest I've had in a long, long time, really. But I've had nine cars and eight motorcycles. And I probably do, honestly, I do as much or even more these days with motorcycles than I do with cars. Um, and I do, there's a series called, well, we did Corbin's Ride On, which ran for five seasons. That was a motorcycle show on speed. And then, then we did this motorcycle touring show, tripping on two wheels, where I rode all over Europe with my son and this British friend of mine, and, and you know through Canada and U.S. And it's, I mean, it's just that was spectacular. So, so motorcycle-wise, I'm really kind of a Euro biker. I got mostly BMWs and a Moto Guzzi and Triumph, and uh, but mostly Beamers. And car-wise, I've got a little bit of everything. We're, you know, it's it's a weird mix. Um, <clears throat> They're all 20-footers, you know, from 20 feet away. They look pretty good. Um, but but they're all cars that are just drivers and fun. You know, a 56 Lincoln Premier, a 63 T-Bird, a 67 Suicide Door, four-door T-Bird. I'm a T-Bird guy. Uh, still got the Opel GT. Got a 63 Studi Hawk, GT Hawk. Um, you know, a uh, 78 F-150 uh, beater truck. A couple SHOs. I'm down to one SHO now. Uh, Lincoln Mark 7, I love those. The Jag XK8, uh, duh, I don't know, some other stuff like that. But it's just, it's, you know, they're just fun cars. They're just fun cars. Is there a car out there, money not a factor, that if, you know, that you look out there and you say, you know, I've had so many cars, but I haven't had this one yet? Yeah, you know, it's funny. I, uh, I don't really, I don't really lust after uh, cars. And, I, and that may be because I can drive anything I want, you know, so I don't. And, and when that comes to an end, this answer may change. You know, but right now, I don't have that. I must have this thing. Um, you know, honestly, right now, if I, if I was the, the thing that I kind of like to have, and this is really weird, but it's a, a Mercedes CLS. I never had a Mercedes. I think the CLS is kind of a cool-looking car. Um, but I don't know why. You know, it's, 
but but it's like it's it's not like gosh, I'd have a Duesenberg or a GT40 be nice, and 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 I think that's because I think they're all impractical to own, but they're wonderful to drive, and people let me drive them. <laughs> You bring up an interesting point, though. The difference between driving a car and owning a car. Is there a difference in your mind? Absolutely. Totally. And, um, I mean, so many people just own them. You know, I, I, I and I can't, I have no, and, and I respect that. I'm fine with that, you know, uh, but I have no desire to do that. Um, I don't really want any more. And this is not, it wasn't always the case because I had a lot of stuff just because I thought it was pretty, you know. But I really don't want art, you know. I want I want to drive these things because they're cars. I want to have fun with them because that's driving them is what's fun. And so that's why none of mine look that good. Because in this one guy, I pulled up to this roadhouse kind of out by me out in the country. And my 63 T-Bird and this guy who I know, you know, I just pulled up outside this thing. and was getting out. And he goes, you need a paint job on that thing. I said, man, if I put a paint job on that, I'll have to worry about where I park it. Slam the door and walked in the bar, you know. <laughs> um, and that's really that's really where my head is at. I, I uh I, I want that's more important to me than, than having this pristine thing. Man, I love those and, and I think that is art and I appreciate art. I just don't want to own art um, and I honestly I don't want to have that much money tied up in art. I see your point. Dennis Gage joining us here on Talking About Cars. You've done the motorcycle show. You've done this show for 20 years. If you had a, do you have another great idea that there's something you want to do out there uh, that's just a little bit different? Is it automotive wise? Is it any other kind of wise? No, I got, I got nothing. I got, I got nothing. Uh, no, well, <laughs> I mean, I, I, you know, like I said, the the material here is limitless. I could do it forever. But I tell you, television has changed. Television, frankly, isn't as much fun as it once was. Uh, it's it's going to this great sameness. Everything is pretty similar. It's all uh, staged reality. Um, I really, I have no desire to, to do that or produce it. I mean, I own the production company that does this and all the shows. But I just don't want to do that stuff. Um, I still really, and I love the, the motorcycle touring show. We still kick out episodes of that every now and then. Um, but I really, you know, I do, I do uh, happy television, you know, happy TV. I mean, it's really, uh, it's really one of the greatest compliments that was ever paid to me was a guy that came up to me in a restaurant, and he says, man, I, uh, I don't mean to bother you. I know you're eating. No, that's fine, fine. He says, but I love your show. And I said, well, thanks, man. He said, i got to tell you, it's the only show that my five-year-old son, my dad, and I all sit down and watch together. And I, you know, and I was like, well, thanks, man. I, mean, you know, I really appreciate that. That's really what I want to do. You know, I'm, I'm really who I appear to be. What you see is what you get. The guy on TV is you know, who, who I am. And frankly, um, thank God it works because I, I can't be anything else. I'm just lucky who I am works. So that's really, and, and I think there's a, you know, a viewership for that programming. Obviously, my, my show's been around 20 years, and it's the highest rated show of its kind. But, but networks really are going a different direction, and it's a direction I'm not that thrilled about. Um, so, you know, I'm going to continue to do what I want to do and do it kind of my way. Um, and I think it'll, it'll find its audience. It always has. You're right, because there are a lot of redo shows, but there are some shows that all of a sudden you get involved with you know, people yelling at each other for no apparent reason, and it's just like after a while, it's not as much about the car as it is about the drama that may or may not be manufactured. It's nothing about the car. It's they're simply situa You know, situation comedy is just a comedy that takes place in a certain situation. These are the situation for these dramas simply happens to be automotive. They're not car shows. Another guy said to me recently, "You know, yours is about the only show out there 
that's still actually about cars. <laughs> You're the only car show out there that's still actually about cars. What a concept, you know? I mean, what a concept. Um, well, good for you. You're not doing gimmicks. No, yes. I mean, I, this is what I do. This is who I am. And, uh, and it's been a lot of fun. It's been a great ride. Tennis gauge of my classic car. After 21 years, the Peterson Automotive Museum here in L.A. has undergone a complete restoration, if you will. Not quite a frame-off, but certainly a teardown. And museum curator Leslie Kendall, well, how would you describe it? In short, everything has changed. The museum is completely different. There's nothing that people are going to recognize except the location. Cars different, too? Cars, some of the cars are the same, but most of them are different. We have a completely new approach to interpreting automobiles. We do it in a three-tiered way now. We start with history, then go on to industry, and then go on to artistry. So it's a completely different, uh, different approach to it. Before we get into the specifics, what happened somewhere along the line that steered you in this direction as far as how you were going to separate everything? Um, we wanted a new way of approaching the automobile. We thought that what we did 20 years ago was good 20 years ago. It was the right thing to do. Cars in their contacts, gigantic dioramas. And we thought, you know what, let's do it a little bit differently. That's how people learned back then. Let's, let's show cars and interpret them how people learn today. Let's make it easy today. Let's, let's have I I interpretive electronics and, and the latest, the latest kinds of, um, interactives and 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 that's that's what people expect in a modern institution and that's what we want to give them you don't have the the restaurant with the dog on top of it anymore we we don't like i say we, we don't but <laughs> i'm sorry i just had to throw that in i'm gonna miss that i'm glad you did because th their people are gonna are gonna wonder about certain things and you know i remember that fondly too no helms truck uh, somewhere along the line you know what i hope so i hope we get another helms truck back but but again there's so many stories to tell that sometimes you have to kind of put things away for a little while tell some other stories then you can bring them back and, and on this show as we always say everybody has a car story and one day we'll get yours. But as far as this museum's car story, uh, the old days, and again, I'm going back off of memory, you used to walk from you know spot to spot, and, and the dioramas would change and things would change. As somebody comes in here, let's talk about coming in right on this very first floor. Already you could tell uh, you've done some work here. Well, the first thing people are going to notice when they drive up is the round door roll sitting right in the window. I mean, it's, it's a can't-miss thing. You come into the lobby. It's really big, and it's inviting, and it's brighter than it's ever been. Um, For those who don't understand that, that is actually a Rolls-Royce. I, I, you'll tell me the year, but it literally has a round door. It's called the Round Door Rolls. It's uh, built in 1925, rebodied in 1934 in Belgium with a... a it's 20 feet long. It's got an 18-inch fin in the back, louvers in the rear, and perfectly round doors. It's, it's, if Batman had a Rolls-Royce, that would be it. <laughs> yeah, definitely. That's the right color anyway. All right, so we go through. We see uh, some of the uh, racing vehicles here. What's going to happen uh, next? Well, yeah, we want to give people a little taste of what they're going to see. We've got a motorcycle. We've got a Ferrari. Um, what people do, they... they they, they get their ticket or sign in at admission if they're members, and then you go right on up to the third floor. And you start with the history of the automobile as it overlaps into Los Angeles. Because we are, after you know, at the end of the day, we're a local museum, and, and we want to talk about how local history has impacted the automobile. Uh, then you go down to the, to the second floor, which is industry. Some of the things that stand out here to me, just looking at the uh, list here, you've got the Pixar Mechanical Institute and Cars Pad Experience. Talk about that. What? 
that gives people we a lot of people call it our our kids experience our discovery center which it is but it's really not just for kids it's for everybody you can walk in and you can go as, as deeply as you want into a topic. You can learn about suspension. You can learn about the engine. You can learn about where the sparks come from. You can learn about any anything you want, and you can go as deeply into it as you want. A lot or a little. You get you check out a car's pad. You hold it up, and all of a sudden you're learning about a different story, uh, and and you're, you're you're digging a little bit. You're digging a little bit. You're getting more information than I think you thought you would. But it's good stuff because it's probably what you've been wondering about. And then you have a hot rods and customs area. Hot rods and customs, we, we really talk about everything. We run the gamut. We've got tuner cars in there. We've got a low rider. We've got America's Most Beautiful Roadster winner. Um, you name it. We've got right now, we've got Cadzilla. We've got the Hirohata Merc, a couple of the most seminal hot rods, or pardon me, customs that you could ever, ever want. Uh, we have a pretty pretty darn good selection and of course bringing it back at least and this is appropriate because we're in la and you're hollywood is you're going to have the movie and star cars we have movie and star cars you better believe it you can't have museum anywhere near hollywood and not talk about that we've got the batmobile we've got uh, a couple of cars in the latest james bond movie we've got we've got a camera car that howard hughes rko studios had you know 60 years ago um we've we've got the we we even have the bus from little miss sunshine the Volkswagen bus from Little Miss Sunshine, Magnum, uh, Magnum PI Ferrari, uh, 1914 Renault that Fatty Arbuckle had in the silent era. So we, you know, we have, we really have something for everybody. And the original Black Beauty, I think. We have the original Black Beauty. We're going to be rotating that up. That's something that we're keeping in our vault right now. But again, that's an opportunity to refresh the exhibit when the time comes. What's your favorite part uh, of the museum as it stands right now? I, I, I have to tell you, I've worked on every aspect of this, and what I like about it is, is how it works as a unified theme, how everything works together. I, think, uh, I don't think you could separate one thing from another, um, which is, I think, in part what sets us apart from other museums because the way we approach the topic. We, we, we talk about it in different ways, but we connect them. We make, we make it, uh, have it make sense. There's so much here, and I would imagine you, as the guy that looks over this whole thing, was there a favorite as far as this is kind of a pet project of yours? You definitely wanted to get this certain thing in? Well, there, there, yeah, I kind of, you know, it's... Oh, uh, come on, you could tell us. Well, no, no, no. I mean, <laughs> there's a lot of them. I, I, you know, a passion of mine, a, a favorite genre of cars of mine has always been the French classics. And it was a natural that we've got uh, in, in our Grand Salon, the, the uh, Peter and Merle Mullen Grand Salon, an exhibit of Art Deco era French cars. And not just French cars. We have a German car from that era. We've got Italian. We've got British. Uh, you know, we, we want to tell the whole story. We don't want it to just, you know, stop at the border of one country. We want to, we want to be pretty embracing. And one thing when people come in here, they're going to look around. What's the, is there another thing that you say, hey, you must see this? I think what people need to do is they need to, they need to go up to the third floor and really look at the history section. Look at, look at the gigantic cases. We have hundreds of objects that we never had before. People can see how, you know, how we traveled back then. People can see the innovation that we embody, the artistry in the automobile, the, how, how they looked. Uh, it's, it's, it, it's appealing back the layers that, that we haven't given people the chance to do before, but we're giving them the chance now.
And I'm noticing you guys are going to have restaurants here. We're going to, yeah, Drago Brothers is, we're going to, we're going to open that. It's a little different than the one that used to be here, but, you know, the whole museum is a counterpoint to what it used to be. Leslie Kendall of the Peterson Museum. I guess this will give us a chance to feast on food while we feast our eyes on some really cool cars. Now, one of the displays at the all-new Peterson centers on the movie Cars. But it's not just a display featuring a life-size Lightning McQueen that's good for the kids. Jay Ward is the creative director at Pixar. And before you say, Jay Ward, where have I heard that name before? Okay, I take it you're not that Jay Ward. I wish I could say I was, but I will say I have a photograph of his star from the Hollywood Walk of Fame outside my door, and I love to freak people out. They just walk by and go, is that? And go, yep, it's real, not photoshopped, and then they just kind of walk away. I've done that. I don't know how many people have fallen for that, because they don't know who he is. I love it. That's too bad. Uh, Bowinkle and Rocky. And t- I grew up with that stuff. I, I, I loved Rocky and Bowinkle growing up, and obviously I loved animation because I ended up at Pixar. So. Did that have anything to do with you getting into animation? You know, I, I, don't, I can't say that it didn't, because every day after school, I watched cartoons, and when I was a kid, the 40s and 50s cartoons were syndicated by then, and they just ran every day after school, and I loved them. And I watched them over um, Channel 2 in the Bay Area was KTVU Channel 2, and they would start with the – and a lot of them were kind of dark or adult. They didn't edit them in those days. You know, there would be, you know, some adult references in the cartoons, and they just played them that way, the way they were. The Tom and Jerry ones were kind of violent, kind of racist, and I just grew up with those. But I remembered – Tex Avery, how wild his cartoons were, and Tom and Jerry, all that. And I loved those cartoons growing up. I, I probably watched two hours of cartoons a day every day growing up. Try to describe the exhibit as we're sitting in it right now because, you know, people think of cars, obviously, you've got Lightning McQueen over here, and it's a different approach, but it still has that same cartoon fascination. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. You're in what's called the Mechanical Institute, and in this space, it's where cars characters are actually going to teach you how a car works. So you have a two-part component. You have a physical space where you can actually do a touch pad and watch components moving on a car. And then you can check out what's called a cars pad where you can do an augmented reality thing. And when you use this cars pad, you go to a trigger point and Mater will actually come out on the screen and walk you through the process of building a car. And you'll meet all the cars characters along the way. Luigi tells you about tires. Flo teaches you about style. Um, Ramon teaches you about customizing. Feel more about fuel. What a great way to engage kids and adults to kind of learn about that stuff. That's such a fascinating concept for kids, and I assume, what, what's the age range where this works? You know what's funny is the very first thing I told the Peterson was, I said, I don't want a children's exhibit. I don't want this to be a kid's space. I want this to be a family ex- space for everybody, just like Pixar films. You know, you can go watch them without kids, and they're great. They work for adults, and they work for kids. And, you know, we've always believed that when you're making a film for a child, you cut yourself off at the knees. You, you pandered to a, to a group. Make a great film, and it will work for adults, and it will work for children. And that's what I think Pixar has always been so successful at, is we just make great films that happen to work for adults and kids. This space is a great space that happens to work for adults and kids to learn about cars at different levels. Anybody who's seen the movies know the various characters are cars, and they're, they seem to be not just random cars. They seem to be cars you've modeled after something, like obviously the, uh, the blue car was the Richard Petty car. Uh, there are certain cars that are modeled. Now, just for those who, and some of them not heard the answers to this, I'm kind of curious, okay, so Lightning McQueen, what's that made after? Well, there's a couple things. So Lightning McQueen was always our main character. And we had looked at a few things, and 
you know, he's an amalgam of a lot of different race cars all in one. We knew we wanted American design. We wanted the hips of an American car. We wanted a little bit of stock car racing in there. He kind of has the stock car style flap on the back. But what's great about him is he's not locked into one particular year. You can't say, oh, that's a 68 Camaro or that's a 73 Superbird. He's this amalgam that really is just a beautiful car that John was just like, just make it really sexy. Just make it a beautiful car that I'd want to drive. And that's what we did. Um, and then the name is interesting because people always think, oh, you guys named after Steve McQueen. But actually, we had an animator at Pixar named Glenn McQueen who passed away during the film. He was our lead animator named Glenn McQueen, awesome guy. And John was like, we got to somehow put a tribute to him. So the McQueen name came from that. Okay. What are some of the other ones, that, some of the other vehicles that came from something that we may be familiar with? Yeah, so it's interesting because when you watch cars, it's a mixture of in-house design, which is like McQueen and Mater and Flo. Those are cars we design. And then it's a combination of real cars, like Sheriff is a real 49 Mercury. Doc is a 51 Hudson Hornet. Sally's a you know, 2002 996 Carrera. So we really try to get this balance of in-house design and real cars so that you have that authenticity in the world and they feel like they could all live together. When you're watching the film, you're not thinking about like, oh, wait, that's not a real car because we've designed it to the level where it feels like it should be a real car. How did Doc get to be a Hudson Hornet? Well, one of the things John was fascinated with was the story of the Hudson Hornet in NASCAR racing. That car dominated 51, 52, and 53. Those three years, nobody touched the Hudson. And the funny thing was, that car was not the most powerful car out there by any means. It had a, a flathead six uh, with twin carburetors, but what it had was a low chassis. It had the step-down chassis, and because it had that low weight, when they would pitch it in a corner, the car wouldn't flip. It would just dig in and just take the corners. And John thought that was such a cool kind of underdog story, and a, a car that was underestimated that turned out to be dominant for those years. The other thing John loved about the story of the Hudson Hornet was it went from being the pinnacle of NASCAR in those three years to being dead last. Because by 1954, the other car companies had figured out the tricks of Hudson and big guys like Ford and GM had come out with way more powerful engines. And that car got left behind. And we incorporated that into the story. If you remember, Doc Hudson says, you think I quit? They quit on me. I got left behind. That's the story of what happened to the Hudson. So it's really interesting how we sort of pulled that into the character. And with Paul Newman voicing it, it was like gold. I love those stories because it's, it's always interesting, the behind-the-scenes stuff. I know you have a bunch of sportscasters in there, like Bob Costas was one of them and all that. Now, were they their cars selected for any particular reason or were they thrown in? So it's interesting. When you have somebody who's a car person, we'll say, what car would you like to be? So, for instance, Richard Petty is in there and his wife is in there, which we call Mrs. the King. It's Richard Petty's wife. And we asked her, Linda Petty, and she's passed away. And we said, Linda, what car do you want to be? And she goes, I don't know, I guess a station wagon. And we kind of said, okay, why? And she goes, well, that's always what I drove. I'd always pick up my kids and we'd go to the races in a station wagon. We said, all right. And we made a petty blue station wagon. That's Mrs. The King in the film. That's cool. Um, uh, Ray and Tom, the car, car Talk brothers, and you know one of them has passed away. Um, they decided who each other's car was going to be. So we said to Tom, hey, what would Ray be? And we said to Ray, what car would Tom be? And we made them choose each other's car. Remember what they were. Uh, 67 Dodge A110 van and then the uh, Dodge Dark and 63 Dodge Dark convertible. So they were the Dodge brothers. Yeah. <laughs> That's very good. Yeah. That's very good. Yeah. So did, you did you ask the sportscaster guys or did, was that just kind of a throw? Bob Costas, we didn't. Um, for Cars 2, we had Brent Musburger, who we made Brent Mustang Burger, and he thought that was pretty funny. Yeah. Uh, David Hobbs, we made David Hobbs cap. You know, he's an F1 announcer, and that was kind of fun too. Yeah. Now, you've got another movie coming out? Yes, we have Cars 3 coming in the summer of 17. Uh -huh. And um, I can say if you, if you love real cars and if you love um, the, the movie cars, the first cars, you will love this film. We are really, I, I, and I've got to say, we're really excited about it.
Can you give us a, not necessarily a sneak preview of what it's all about, but uh, any idea of what the, some of the cars are going to look like? Well, I can tell you that we're going to get uh, deeper into the world of cars. You're going to meet some new characters, and there's a lot of authenticity in it. There's a lot of roots of things in it that you're going to go, oh, wow, they did their You know, we really strive to do our homework on our films, and there's some great little automotive things that we're going to touch on in the racing world. A lot of cool racing stuff. As far as, you know, the designs on the wall and the tracing and that kind of stuff, uh, it certainly does appeal to all sorts of demographics in a way as far as families are concerned. Yeah, yeah and we tried to say, okay, if you're coming in here as a family, let's say mother, father, and you got three kids, the three or four-year-old may have a harder time with push button and, and actually do the mechanical things. They can sit and draw or they can color or they can, you know, cut out shapes. They can do whatever. If you're five, six, seven, maybe you do want to interact with that. If you're nine, 10, 11, you can actually get deeper and deeper and actually set the whole system up so the car will actually work. So what's really great is we have engagement at a lot of different levels. Even with the Cars Pad experience, there's two paths. You can do the complete building of a car step-by-step, -step, which takes about 20 minutes, or you can just do the five-minute seek-and-find version if you're just a kid with not a lot of patience or an adult. Now, obviously, trying to sell what a museum looks like on a podcast, well, that's a pretty challenging endeavor. So, okay, this is what I decided. Let's ask some of the media at the media unveiling. Let's ask what they thought of the all-new Peterson. It's awesome anyway. It's 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 beautiful. So they they spend a lot of time and money for sure on this new museum. So I came here uh, a, a few years ago. Then I bring some uh, some friend of mine and then customer from Europe uh, at the ex museum. So it was really nice. And anyway, it's a good stop here in LA to uh, to talk about cars and see like incredible cars from different kind of scenes. So so it's 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 really good now. It's it's totally different. So we'll be back again with my friends and my new customer now to see this new museum. What was the best part? Uh, it's it's like every uh, um, level is really different. So. I'm kind of a hot rod guy, so I like hot rods and customizing cars in a way because I'm from that scene uh, about a long time now. So, but uh, but you know what? When you like cars, you like all those classic cars, like the the lower level here with all those French cars and European cars, like Mercedes, Bugattis, and everything. You know, when you like cars, it's you know it's like, what can I say? A piece of history anyway so you're in love with those kind of cars too so you know it's it's really beautiful well i think it's fantastic i was really here to check out the motorcycles and had a great time with that but it's the transformation they've had is just incredible the best part about it gosh i have to say it's actually this uh i can't remember the exact name of it when you walk in you look to the left and you just have the i think they call it the rolling art or rolling sculptures mm -hmm. it's just some incredible vehicles in there but yeah i mean i like the bikes yeah, yeah. <laughs> i enjoyed it from what it used to be it's Light years ahead from where it used to be. I'm glad they got rid of the motoramas and stuff like that. It's beautiful. The collections they have are outstanding. I mean, uh, and I like the way they'd split it up from styling to the industry. Well, there's a lot of industry people here, so that was kind of nice. And, I like to think they did it for all of us, but, but that's yeah, not, yeah. no, no. But I think they, it's thoughtful. I mean, I think whoever sat down and they really put, uh, they did their homework. I'm impressed. That was good. What was the one thing that stood out for you? Actually. The display in the bottom, the styling, uh, i never seen some of those cars ever in my life. And the Bugattis and some of the really... It, it was art on wheels, without question. Well, I think the uh, quality of the cars is first class. I think the organization is very nice. It's, makes it makes it easy to go up and see various aspects. Um, and I think they want people to come back to it more than just the first time, and I think they've succeeded at that. You, you want to see a car, gee, I'd like to come back and see it again. So it's like... They become friends. It sounds crazy. They become friends. That's, I'm, I think they're going to be successful. This is more, more like an art collection, what they have today, than what they used to have, just some cars uh, on our floor. So this is uh, 
this is like a museum, but it's it's. You don't you don't miss the uh, the little pup restaurant with the dog on top of it. Oh, the the 1950s uh, soda jerks and all that yeah, stuff. Exactly. Yeah, and all that. I mean, I can't remember all of it, but it's been yeah. Yeah, that's well, good. They wisely put a good restaurant in it. So there's a lot of reasons to come now. <laughs> I mean, beginning from the exterior, I think it's going to change the landscape of this area in Los Angeles. So that, to begin, already captures your attention. Um, and the interior is nothing short of extraordinary. Um, I think from everything from the flooring to um, the lighting, but particularly the automobiles, you'll, you won't see a collection like this. What cars are the first ones that uh, come to mind when I ask you which is the top thing here? Well, it's difficult because I work for Maserati. <laughs> ah. So naturally, I would say the made in Italy, designed to line um, display is the best. Mm -hmm. Actually, the cars um, concept that they came up with, which is um, not virtual reality, but sort of it's design brought to life for all ages. And uh, it's quite engaging. I think that's actually very creative. The Pixar augmented reality area, which is really wonderful for kids. It's quite interactive and educational. So it brings you through the whole design process of creating an automobile. And I've never really seen that at a museum. So that's a great benefit for being in the heart of Los Angeles. Pixar taught you something. <laughs> yeah, there you have it. <laughs> Honestly, I think that every car brand and special cars represented and I think that's the best thing about being able to see a Zagato, the original Bond car, I mean pretty much everything you want to see and then going upstairs and seeing the guys that are designing the cars is really special. That's right, they have that little studio you could see just from uh, taking a look there. Mm -hmm. from our, yeah, from Design Center in Pasadena, which is pretty cool. What's your opinion of the new Peterson? Uh, it's um, has opened itself up it's allowing um, the new visitors to see more of what the car has started out to be and what it has uh, developed into. Uh, it'll be great for uh, youngsters because of the design area. Also, um, Pixar has played such a large part in bringing in uh, the cars events. I know there's a little controversy over the exterior, but uh, it only uh, goes along with uh, the museum area. It's not like you're going to pass it and not be able to find it. People won't pass it. They will get off of the new uh, uh, metro coming down from downtown and stop here as they're on their way to the beach. What's your favorite part here? I like the entire museum because I've worked all the cars and learned, taken time to learn about the cars and uh, in building a, uh, some inexpensive cars uh, from top to bottom on my own. So I'm, I'm kind of with it. I like it. I think it was really well done. The outside looks like an exploded Coca-Cola can, but inside it looks amazing. That's the best description I've heard of the outside. What's your favorite part of it? I think they did a good job with some of the uh, Hollywood cars. Uh, you see Magnum's Ferrari, but that room with all the silver cars, all the silver kind of supercars collected and kind of color themed out was really impressive. Did you know that Larry Minetti once owned that car? I did not know that. Yeah. Larry Minetti told me once that he apparently bought it from the company and the sucker never worked and it stalled all the time and he finally, eventually, but that's why he didn't keep it very long. You can have it back. Yeah. <laughs> what about you, Joe? Uh, I honestly, you know, I, I woke up with the calendar in the LA Times like a lot of other folks did and uh, it, it, it brutalized this place and I was, 
I tried to keep an open mind, and when I rolled up, like, I'm fine with the outside of this place. I think it's, it, it gets your attention, and it gives us a dynamic that I know Terry Cargis was going for. The inside just reminds me of home. You know, we've been coming here since the museum opened, and there's a, a, there's a charm to some of it staying the same. The silver room that Mike mentioned, without a doubt. I mean, if, if you didn't do anything but come into that silver room, that was worth the trip alone. But, like, I'm into old mini bikes, and there was a collection of old Harley-Davidson toppers, and there was a room just full with old nostalgia motorcycles. Uh, and I do think, you know, Randy, really, Mike and I are the only two guys that left here and actually bought two cars from the museum that were taken home. I, I'm I'm just looking at this. I'm going to have to put that on my, I'm going to take a picture of it before you guys go. I'll put it on the website. Go ahead. Oh, that would be great. And, you know, and I can only say that, look, uh, you know, we saw the video of Mr. Peterson being played and we saw that photo of him standing in the middle of all those magazines with, with Mr. Peterson. What his intention was for this museum is like they nailed it here. If you, if you haven't been to the Peterson Museum, you need to get down here. You need to get down here now. Not yesterday, now. Yeah, Monday, you know, we're lucky because we got to slide in here through our media credentials. In fact, those will be available on Craigslist in about a half hour. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we got to pay for these cars. No, just kidding. Uh, Joe at MotorMediaInc.com. Uh, but, but, yeah, this is, this is, if Pete Margie rolled in, and I can almost see them rolling in in the yellow uh, rolls. And they got out of that car, they would be beaming. You know, this this is exactly what the doctor ordered if you're a car guy. In fact, Mike, even if you're not a car guy, right? Or car, car I think it's a great compliment to Museum Row right here on Wilshire Boulevard. You come to LACMA. You come to see the museums of Los Angeles, MoCA downtown. Peterson Museum is now a stop on that list. It is. Um, I'm just, I'm excited. In fact, I'm... I'm going to try to uh, get down here more often. The Peterson is now open for business. Find out more at peterson.org. Thanks for joining us on this week's Talking About Cars podcast. Next week, we'll get car crazy with Barry McGuire. You know, we always see him talking with other car people on his show. But do you know his car story? Follow us on our Talking About Cars pages on Facebook and Instagram. And on Twitter, we are Talk N, the letter N, Talk N about cars. And I'm Randy Cardoon. Join me next time as we have some fun talking about cars.